Do you want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarf Cast by Ganymede and Titan? Choose. Awoga, this is a Dwarf Cast. Hello and welcome to the Dwarf Cast Book Club, the series in which we reread, discuss and dissect the four Red Dwarf novels part by part. Today we're being the best possible versions of ourselves as we cover Rob Grant's Backwards Part 2, Smoke Me a Kipper, I'll Be Back for Breakfast. Smear. The one with Ace in it. I'm Ian Ace Symes, and joining me around the virtual coffee table are Danny Bungo Stevenson. <laughs> oh yeah. And Jonathan Dickhead Caps. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we're also armed with a selection of comments from the boffins over at www.ganymede.tv. As always, we recommend you re-familiarise yourself with the book before listening, and if you've forgotten what happened last time, well, it's not actually super relevant as it happens, but here's a recap anyway. Following the events of Better Than Life, the crew arrive at backwards Niagara Falls to pick Lister up, only to discover he's been arrested for murder. After a reverse police chase, Lister meets up with the crew, unfalls up a mountain, and heads back to Starbuck in a pickup truck which he subsequently steals from a gun-toting hillbilly. They find Starbuck in a state of disrepair, with the landing jets missing, leaving them stuck. As they search, Crichton stumbles across a dead hermit with a pickaxe in his chest. When the man comes back to life, Crichton instinctively removes the axe, thus making him responsible for the murder that Lister has just served eight years for. Lister and the cat manage to retrieve one severely rusted landing jet, but as they go to take off, they realise the guilt-ridden Crichton is gone. Lister aborts the reverse landing, missing their flight window and leaving them stuck on the reverse earth for a further 10 years. Shit. Is it 10 or is it 12? Uh, well, my, I've got a paperback and it says 10. So we got revised from 12 to 10. Makes yeah. sense. Which I think might be to do with maths regarding um, the ages of the crew. Uh, yes. But we'll get to that next time because now <laughs> we're taking a little diversion. It should we should point out as well that at some point in the past the decision was made that decided whether Rimmo was going to be held back a year or not as he sat trying to learn piano, which is probably quite relevant to this chapter. Oh yeah, <laughs> that also happened in the last Dwarfcast, but not in the main part of it. Yeah, because yeah, we're in Ace World. We're in Ace's Hall. It's a funny one. This taking the action to a completely different place and a different set of characters it's what they did in infinity but just mini chapter by mini chapter rather than a whole part yeah of the book taking a diversion actually this part itself is also structured more like infinity uh, than the first part of backwards was in that the first few chapters of this introduce different characters and, and flit about to tell one complete story and we start with billy joe epstein he <laughs> sounds like a country and western singer. Yeah, who's now disgraced in some way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, someone mentioned in the comments that Epstein, a bit dodgy. I still think of Brian Epstein. Brian Epstein. Yeah. The Beatles manager and a much more savoury character than Jeffrey Epstein by all accounts. Yeah, makes sense. But no, you're so right. This is this is like a mini infinity. I mean, Billy Joe is. George McIntyre, he is Saunders, you know. Yeah. He's written in exactly the same way, exactly the same sort of yeah. premise. We're first introduced to this world via a character that turns out to be relatively minor, uh, yeah. but it's just our way in. And then yeah, the more familiar stuff gets introduced bit by bit. Rob's incredibly good at these 
internal monologues of characters we've just met having a crisis or having like a very personal crisis that maybe isn't all that wide-ranging and important but is incredibly defining for them it's his thing Mm. he does it very well at the start of colony as well i don't know if you remember but the main character in that just having an absolute meltdown crisis and he's so good at getting those emotions across really succinctly he does a similar thing with tramta later on as well Mm, several times just in this section this is also our introduction to ace although we don't know it yet ace basically walks into a bar manhandles a barmaid and punches a guy in the face for no reason (laughs) yeah what a guy (laughs) gets thrown over a fucking bar (laughs) yeah yeah not as it seems as we find out later on but i guess i guess that's a discussion for in about an hour's time but um the big reveal does anyone remember if they clocked who this was originally uh, it's just too long ago at this point i don't think i figured it out i assumed that we were in aces universe from the um, <laughs> smoke me a kipper reference but i didn't clock that the that was going to be rimmer uh, ace rather i yeah. think it might have been dialogue that might have like old love might have been the the maybe the the smoking gun i've just flicked through and seen the line splendiferous stuff Needed to get the old circulation going in the Fisteroonies. So I perhaps mean, that was a. That sounds like Chris Barry. It's a blatant it? clue, isn't it? It does. It sounds like our Rimmer. Yeah. It, like, other than the subject matter, the uh, the language sounds like our Rimmer. So I guess that's that's kind of beefed up in this to cement the connection between the two of them, that they're the same person that just went in a different way. So they do still share some traits. Yeah, they definitely do. You can see our Rimmer in, in this character. For sure. Yeah, mm, yeah, and more than once that's brought up as well. This is Ace Rim, obviously. Well, you'd, as you'd expect, being as well drawn as he has been, because there's more room to do it in the in the novels. Yeah, in the TV version, he only ever needs to be a caricature. Cause yeah. He just needs to be the opposite of Arnold, whereas here he's a he's a protagonist. Yeah, we'll get onto like the personality of Ace and whether he's actually you know a nice person or or whatever in a bit but like he'd, he'd, he'd wear you down wouldn't he even if he was on your side like <laughs> I'd, I'd i'd be pretty sick of him after a little while so like all right mate turn it off yeah i think <laughs> who is it that said that ace is actually quite an, i think it might have been ed by that said that ace is actually quite an annoying character it wouldn't be a dwarf cast if i didn't reference atletico mints but in <laughs> these days it reminds me so much of barry homer in a slash Bob Mortimer's train guy that he does on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> like the constant like having to embellish every normal word <laughs> that he can to kind of, I don't know, make himself sound a bit more interesting. To cover up a lack of personality. Pop a banana <laughs> in Melly's intray. Filth. Yeah, this plan of his with Billy Joe, if Billy Joe hadn't have fought back... He just would have beaten the shit out of him. Yeah, it would have just been Ace coming and sparking a bloke out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a, it is a bit of a weird, convoluted plan, and that's definitely, that's definitely touched on. Um, it serves two purposes, doesn't it? Because it's, if you didn't do this, then you know your life would turn out completely differently. And it's like, and the book is like very explicit, saying that this Billy Joe will absolutely fail his exam. Yeah. Unless the current events change, like unless yeah, yeah, it's Billy Joe's having decision. his own. He's having his own kind of Ace Rimmer decision moment. What Ace doesn't realise is that actually it's also his because it's the one that, that splits his life off in a different direction as well because of reasons. So Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. It's also a possibility that Ace was just having a really shit day and all this is genuine and he later spins it to be a Yeah, uh... I wasn't sure when I first I think when I first read it, I didn't I, I think I knew it was Ace, but I thought that he was being a genuine dick. 
Right, yeah. Like that's what I that's what I think I understood from from first reading. It's not beyond the realms of possibility because Arnold Rimmer, our Rimmer, has his nasty side. But he's uh, not. Yeah, but... it's weird though because he's like he's not a fighter. He's like, no, no, but, but this, he's not a pacifist, know, but, but, but he's add, just he's a fucking coward. <laughs> yeah, add a bit of self confidence and a bit of physical prowess that Ace has uh, uh, with that yeah. kind of. I think Arnold would be capable of this if he wasn't a coward. Yeah, yeah. okay. He's got anger issues and he's, you know, he can be petty and take it out on people. Yeah. That's okay. his, way, his way of doing it is through bureaucracy but another version of Rimmer it could be with his fists yeah well oh actually do you know what yeah I can totally I can absolutely see yeah if you think of me squared when they're, they're pissing about in the cinema and they're constantly trying to take the seat in front of the person yeah it's that same thing yeah. isn't it it's like oh well that's my seat as well oh that's my seat yeah, that's my seat <laughs> yeah Dave had a similar comment he's also in the Aces and Arsehole camp <laughs> <laughs> But he says, I like that this chapter immediately wrong foots us. After reading Ace Rimmer's catchphrase as the title of the section, we expect to meet the character as we know him. So gradually realising that the officer in the bar is him and he's behaving like an arsehole is an interesting way to challenge our expectations and make us wonder whether we're seeing yet another alternate Rimmer, a dimension where there was a nastier Ace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't necessarily mean that's... Yeah, because it doesn't mean... It, there's obviously multiple realities where Ace Rimmer is a reality, but there are different types of Ace Rimmer, so there's no reason mm. why you couldn't have a... You could have a, whatever a you wanted, yeah. Rimmer. <laughs> Rob should really take this kind of multiple, like, infinite realities and spin it off into some sort of, like, you know, new Red Dwarf stories. <laughs> hey. Well, with the... The theory that literally every single decision splits off into a different reality, and that's why there's an infinite number of them. There must be so many that are virtually identical. Yeah. Mm. Like, if I make the decision to pick up this piece of paper or not, it's not going to affect much. Well, yeah. it's, it's 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 the chaos theory thing, isn't it? It's the, yeah. you know, butterfly flaps its wings, creates a hurricane somewhere else in the world. It's like that whole thing of a tiny thing. But how do you know that pencil won't, have some other effect later on, like if you didn't move that pencil, it wouldn't fall off the table as easy. Therefore, it wouldn't stand like, like later. A, or a massive it's like that, you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're, <laughs> not like not like it would like cause a really you know ridiculous effect, but like later on something could happen and it would wouldn't happen if you hadn't moved the pencil. Do you know what I mean? It's like the whole thing of you can't mm. a tiny thing can have massive implications overall because you've changed literally the state of yeah. the state of play. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it could with chaos theory, but in practice. Nine out of ten dimensions would be identical. Yeah, and, and it's actually yeah. it's handled it, later on. It's handled really. I I really love how they handle the the fact of basically making it impossible for you to jump to a boring alternate dimension <laughs> that's too similar. You have to jump to one that's really different. Yeah, um, that, was, that was quite a good. Uh, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, this one's too close. Where you know. Yeah, this is just boring. Like, yeah, he has a sense of parting in this dimension. <laughs> yeah, you only get to jump to the dimensions where everything is bees, <laughs> <laughs> like in Skipper, or where Vimmer is Holly. <laughs> Or Lister smuggled a rat on board. You know, the really interesting ones. Now listen, Ace Rimmer can't exist in the same universe as Skipper, so we can ignore <laughs> that for now. Warbadog says, Ace, Ace's elaborate splendiferous and Fisteroonies turns of phrase are, are the most or only convincing connection with our Rimmer, even if it is just how Rob Grant talks. <laughs> Superlative. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and one more small thing from this section, International Debris says, clear-head, alcohol-free vodka feels like it's meant to be a joke, but as alcohol-free gin is commonplace these days, it feels very quaint. Yeah. Was alcohol-free beer a thing in the 1980s, or was that something that was 
it was getting there early nineties, like you started. Alcohol free beer is a thing. Yeah. Uh, because beer, ta- beer tastes of something and it tastes nice, but I can't see the point of alcohol-free vodka. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean, right? Okay, okay. I'm not. Sure, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Drink. Yeah, and and in this age of gin having a bit of a, a hipster resurgence, of just like you know different flavored gin and like you know people appreciating the taste, which is a very nice taste when you get your yeah. mix of things right. You can kind of understand why you'd have alcohol-free gin, although just have lemonade and shut up <laughs> on the other side of things, you know? <laughs> yeah, whereas alcohol-free, all vodka does is make existing drinks taste worse. Yeah, exactly. All vodka does. It, vodka is there to get you pissed. It's the only reason it exists. Cheaply as well. Originally cheaply, since it was, you know, it's not cheap anymore. Gin also originally existed like that. It's just gin tastes nicer than vodka. Yeah. Mother's ruin. A stillion eyed says, um, "Who? Stillion eyed died, 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 dies." That's better. Um, <laughs> says um, a much needed change of location as the backwards universe was starting to get a bit tedious, and I think this is a good point because a, f- a few people said that it maybe would have worked better splitting this out a little bit and jumping back and forth but i do really like the technique of just wholesale switching us over to this universe for a whole part yeah we needed a palate cleanser and it also kind of adds something a bit different a bit fresh to the book yeah it, the backward stuff is really cerebral like you've really got to be thinking about it as you're yeah. reading it and it's like at least at least having something that felt a bit more even if you know about the tv show even if you don't just having something running in the right direction like yeah. stops you from f- f- like worrying about being able to understand it until you've you know what i mean it's like it just yeah it just makes things a little bit yeah you're right reading re- reading the backwards part is like you know when I don't know, like the washing machine's going on the final spin, or there's a tumble dry gun in the background, and you only notice that the noise was really getting to you when it turns off. Yeah. And you're suddenly like, oh, <laughs> my yeah. ears are relaxed now. <laughs> and it's a bit like that, like yeah, there's background hum in your brain of having to understand the backward stuff, and then all of a sudden you've got Ace Rimmer saying Fisteroonies, and you've got a, a nice little mystery to get your teeth into, and it's yeah, it's it's a nice nice change of pace. Yeah, that mystery I do really like as well. The mystery of the the ship returning before mm-hmm. it set off. Yeah, which we're introduced to in the next part, along with Tranter, Admiral Pete Tranter. So <laughs> Pete Tranter, as in Pete Tranter's sister. Like this was written after. Dimension after Jump? Sirens, after Dimension Jump, and after Sirens. Okay, so yeah. basically they've changed the so Pete so Pete Tranter either is someone they know or they've, they've retconned it from Sirens. It must be like a school friend or something. Well, That's why most of their names come from. Yeah. Dimension Jump. It's James Tranter. It is. It's J- it's James Bongo Tranter. Is it Bongo? Bongo in the TV Bongo. series. Right, okay. Bongo in the book. Bongo, yeah. Not Bungo. Yeah. No, they've they've changed two things. But yeah, Pete Tranter in our universe must be not a spacey person. It must be someone that Lister knew like from school or from home because he lusted after Pete Tranter's sister all through his puberty, so long before he was yeah. in space. So So it must oh, yeah. be you're right, it's like it's like they've reused the name and hadn't quite realised that they'd given it to a throwaway character in Dimension Jump. Yeah. Because all you think of is he's Bongo. And International Debris says Pete Tranter is Bungo, which obviously has weird repercussions for the reveal that he looks like Crichton's DNA altered version and Lister not recognising him. Although yeah, I think International Debris here is thinking that Bungo and Bongo are the same. I'm definitely not overthinking here. But yeah, it's um yeah, it's a weird one. 
just feels like it's kind of been thrown together and like some references jumbled up and got slightly wrong. Well, in the book, there is no indication that Pete Tranter has got anything to do with Crichton at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's only because he's played by Robert Llewellyn in the TV series that we assume that there's a link between the characters. I mean, but Out of his actually, three names, only one of them is the same as in the TV series. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Unless you count Admiral as one of his names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I hadn't even I hadn't even thought and like we do get Melly later on as well and I hadn't like obviously that would not be female Holly because female Holly doesn't exist in the books. No, well Melly is the only appearance of a Hattie Hayridge T V character <laughs> appearing in any of the books. Um and again, there's no indication that it's to do with Holly. Yeah. Uh, and there's no padre, there's no cat equivalent here. Exactly, yes. He's clearly not going down that route, is he? It makes sense for Rimmer and Lister to know each other in both universes. Because, yeah. like, we're skipping ahead, but the backstory to Lister here is that he was on Red Dwarf originally and then he transferred to the test base on yeah. Europa and then became friends with Ace. That works because they're both humans from the same time in yeah. the same area. But, like, to have a version of the cat there at the same time, like, pre-accident yeah. makes no sense. It's something you put in the TV show to give the actor something to do and for it yeah. to be a delightful it's, it's, thing to see. Yeah. yeah, it's a throwaway thing in the TV series to do something where you let one of your regular characters dress up differently. But yeah, trying to get to justify a cat person existing and being a priest and to justify why someone is essentially Crichton but is a human and why someone is essentially Holly but is a human. Yeah. They've just they've just focused on Lister and Rimmer, which is yeah. probably for the best. Rob's the sci the sci fi guy. <laughs> he wouldn't do <laughs> such silly things. <laughs> you also do mention the uh, the demi light speed drives, which is something that was um, mentioned in Infinity. The demi light speed zippers, was it something like that? Right, yeah. Oh, there was, was that the new technology that allowed Lister to get to Mimus? I think it was the stasis thing, wasn't it? It was like that's the the yeah. stuff that allowed them to travel interstellar out. Yeah, yeah. Some nice nods to Infinity stuff. The whole origins of Project Wildfire. Um, I'm like Peterson. I keep wanting to call it Wildflower. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Um, is that they are a craft that can finally break the light barrier but it's not it's not ever mentioned that the fact that it is like a physical impossibility for mass to break the light barrier so it's 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 curious that that um um it's that didn't stop red dwarf from doing it well yeah that's that's true actually in the book universe as well so that's all they had to do was just set something going and just for wait three million enough. years yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um on this note, uh, Dave says all the background on Project Wildfire is interesting and the time travel goal makes a slightly more plausible explanation than the rushed setup we get in Dimension Jump. Yep. Uh, and the stuff about Bungo's desperate career aspirations is both tragically funny and also necessary to set up the positive change in his character later. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's not often that like a character like Bungo <laughs> would just would get like as hasty as it is, a happy ending in in other books. It's kind of like yeah. it's kind of nice. Rob just like, do you know what? Like everyone in Ace's Dimension does just lovely. <laughs> and it, well, it's another demonstration, along with Spanners and along with Billy Joe, of Ace having a positive effect on someone. Yeah, he life. just radiates like every, it. Yeah, every life he touches, he does something that causes a chain reaction that makes them the best version that they can be. Yeah, is it Ace that actually does that, or is it? Um... 
Lister. Is it Spanner mm. that does it? Because he's the one that he's the one that triggers it. He's yeah. the one that co- confronts Admiral Tranter and, and makes him think about his place. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, jumping around all over the shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like dimension jump. Mm. <laughs> so finally, on this part, Warbo Dog says the name of Ace's ship is one of those extracurricular details that gets assumed for discussions of its TV appearance, at least amongst the novel reading real fans. <laughs> but yeah, as shorthand have referred to. Uh, the TV version is Wildfire, which is yeah not. I, I, I didn't realise it isn't mentioned in the show or shown yeah. anywhere as a picture <laughs> or anything because I've always assumed it's there, but it's not. Is the name mentioned offhand in Stoke? Oh no, because it wouldn't have been, would it? Because it's not. It's not Doug's name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And so chapter three is where we finally meet Ace properly, in his head. Uh, along with Spanners. Is it the first time we meet Ace, or did we meet him in the um, in the in the prologue or was that our river it was both yeah oh that's true actually yeah so yeah it's this is the first and a half time we've met it's <laughs> <laughs> the first time we've met a character that is referred to as ace true yes we'll go for that yeah this is where he really sets up his personality and his relationship with spanners as well yeah even more so than in the tv series he ace seems to be sort of in awe of spanners like he really really respects him mm-hmm. and it's not just you know it, and that even though it's established that ace is the kind of guy that has ideas and then sort of feeds them to other people so that they can get credit for it which isn't something that you encounter very much in <laughs> real life uh, the opposite is often true in business yeah. but even so he like he really respects lister's skills and and seems to really like him as a person as well. This rumor has given up on his engineering. Like, cause, I mean, I mean, navigation isn't engineering, but he's given up on his super specialization on something, and so that kind of allowed Lister to grow into that role, and for him to kind of respect him as kind of like the ultra specialized person, whereas he is turned into this kind of almost like he's a, he is like a middle manager, isn't he? Like he's got knowledge of everything, but he's a good middle manager that is like encouraging everyone with the specialized <laughs> yeah. skills to to. He's an exceptional, <laughs> exceptional middleman. <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting because like our Rimmer definitely is trying to inhabit the same space as Lister, and so there's a clash, and it's almost like this Lister and this Rimmer have had the ability to be. They've given each other the space, like because obviously they didn't share a bunk room. They met under different circumstances and have kind of been allowed to like, or just never had that clash. I don't know. Mm. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. But I mean, uh, Lister still had the whole drunken thing in Liverpool. Still ended up on Red Dwarf. Still ended up in Mima. Still, you know, but yeah, but he's still ended exactly with, the same. But ended up with yeah. a completely different bunkmate who encouraged him to kind of take night classes and all that kind of stuff. And that—that's the difference. Less is that Rimmer was Rimmer was really so self-centered that he couldn't that he couldn't impart knowledge of what he was learning to Lister, and Lister could have helped him, but you know, he never yeah. did that. He never imparted it because he thought, "Look, that's mine. I need to keep hold of that." Well, that's it. It's always jealousy isn't it with our yeah. it's always jealousy and and when the ace version of rimmer has already found his his calling then that frees up there's no jealousy anymore there's you know you, you can you can allow people to specialize in their own ways without thinking oh he thinks he's so good at doing this i could you know i could be an engineer i could you know i'm a better technician than this kind rather than just you know letting them blossom themselves mm. yeah it's the kind of the supreme confidence that allows himself to do that because yeah. you always find in the workplace that it's the least talented people that are the biggest dicks to work with. <laughs> it's like the ones that like have to 
have their opinion and have to interfere because they're insecure in their own position and think that they're going to get found out if they don't have their own input. Yabungos of the world. Yabungos. Yeah. <laughs> a phrase that Jez once introduced me, wipe their dick on things. <laughs> <laughs> Always a special way with words, are Jez. <laughs> I, I like I like the little the little flashes of similarities between Ace and Artrimmer that you get, and you can only really get by being inside his head. And one of them is the that his memory of of his scar in his head, how he got a scar in his head, and he it's a memory that both Rimmers would have, like yeah. it's something that would have happened to both of them. And still united, he says that points out the really funny line of him. His his brothers had cast him as General Custer while they played the Sioux Nation. <laughs> It's the same thing as what is it like? They, and, they used to be the three musketeers, and they'll always let me be the queen of Spain. Queen of Spain, yeah. <laughs> and the real woofer in that is, and Howard accidentally used a real tomahawk. <laughs> it's Which like they were still, what? they were still bastards. Where did the real fucking tomahawk come from? That's what. <laughs> that's what's unsaid there. They mentioned about the um, the the father's gun cabinet. It's like, how do they know it's going to go off? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. imagine that his dad's just collecting weaponry from various. <laughs> Time periods. Yeah, sharp. historical earth weaponry. Which is probably where Rimmer gets his sort of love for kind of war and and like old historical you yeah. know, battles and things like that. And possibly why Ace speaks in this sort of crusty RAF World War Two way. <laughs> yeah, Her old love, old sausage. Kind of like a wholesome flash art. <laughs> a few comments about Ace and that kind of thing. International debris. I always loved Ace's old love, old sausage type stuff in this book. But it's really hard to know what to make of this chapter because anyone who's seen the TV show knows that this rumour will have come from a different dimension and the St Christopher's medal is pretty blatant. So although the other two things teased in the cliffhanger are still to be revealed, most of the tension is missing because just about everyone reading is way ahead of the characters. I definitely wasn't the first time I read it, I can say that, but that's probably because I was a stupid, credulous child. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't clock the St Christopher thing. It's mentioned once that the St. Christopher was hanging in there. They mentioned the St. Christopher medallion, but in my head, that didn't really like ring as a clue as to how that couldn't have been Ace. That could have been just a... It's definitely Ace because it had a St. Christopher medallion. It doesn't matter when he had it. It was like... That wasn't saying to me, oh, that can't be that Ace, the Ace we know, because because he's got the St. Christopher medallion. That's not what my brain was doing. My brain was just going, oh, he's mentioned St. Christopher again. He could have had another one for a start. Or, or he could have given it back to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could have been, yeah. you know, that something could have happened later on that would have meant that he had it back. It's definitely incongruous that the St. Christopher is mentioned this early, I'd say, because it's just been mentioned in the fight. But yeah, I agree that you don't necessarily make the connection that it can't be this rumour. Yeah. You may be thinking about other things, yeah. Yeah, when he mentioned later about the black eye, that's when it's like, oh, it, look, it can't be this one because he hasn't got a black eye and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. Although, that's I guess, international debris point. Is very likely also referencing the fact that we know that it's not a time travel mystery; it's a dimension jumping mystery because we've seen yeah. dimension jump. <laughs> <laughs> Although I believe there is a reader somewhere that hadn't seen dimension jump at the time of reading this book. But I think there we'll was get, someone. Get to them. Yeah, there was someone. Yeah, <gasps> we'll find them. We'll we'll get to them in the small we'll track them down. We'll track them down. They won't get far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I. We've touched on this, but I really love this mystery just because it's so... It's the perfect example, again, of taking something from the TV show and fleshing it out and giving it some a grounded position in the universe and like Damage and Jump is a classic brilliant episode, but like this is, you know, this is the, the stuff that the original two books were good were good at. Yeah. 
and yeah it's just it's just really nice i, I love the idea of like yeah dimension jumping was discovered by accident like penicillin like because of course it would be <laughs> um, yeah. and the logic of the friction which is you know a few chapters away yet but like stuff like that it all builds up and it's all pseudoscience enough <laughs> to mm-hmm. um to ground it and feel really quite convincing to me yeah I, I agree. it's the equivalent of the first part of infinity versus the first 20 minutes of the end and obviously yeah. it's going to be a lot more detailed but it doesn't mean that the end is worse as a result because they've got their different mediums yeah. and they've got different aims and this entire part is replacing is like it's about what two minutes of dimension jump where we're in Ace's universe. Yeah, I watched it back because I needed to check what the name was Tranter because I couldn't remember the first name. And I looked back and I was like, wow, they really just get through that whole concept, don't they? They really just fire <laughs> yeah. through that right away. He just you wanted to see me, Bongo. Ever heard about the dimension theory of reality? It's like fuck me, that was quick. It, it, it's <laughs> all carried through on a wave of just her, all our characters are dressed up differently, and like yeah. that—that's the joy of of the opening and like the yeah. fact that there's a dimension jumping ship doesn't fucking matter it's a different it's a different reality you know but this is um it's a different shark yeah. yeah this is this is grounding this reality by by showing us just how pretty much identical it is to ours apart from apart from the deviation of these few lives you know mm. and obviously butterfly effect i'm sure there's lots of other like red dwarf doesn't have the accident for a start but this isn't a fantastical alternate dimension where technology is vastly different it's just a few different lives have, have gone in different directions and kind of you know sh- yeah. showing what that would look like and giving Lister and Rimmer this really believable mutual respect is one of the most successful things about it I think yeah they truly are OTP <laughs> yeah the sun and moon and I think that can probably <laughs> the way they complement each other That'll make a pretty neat speech, that. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the comments on the characterisation, uh, Clem says, without Chris's performance and Rimmer being there to react to him, he's getting quite grating, really, with his stupid way of talking <laughs> and that trite speech about hope, insufferable and not funny. The Say other characters think, in this Clem. part have been more appealing so far. I don't know. I get swept along in the wave of Ace quite easily. Yeah, I I know that in person, like, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, man. I wouldn't particularly like him but like as a character ace benefits from our deeper understanding of our rimmer you know where all this is coming from yeah and again it's really hard for me not to read it and not hear chris's voice in my head like i can't i can't compartmentalize i can't think of this guy as anything other than chris playing this dude right now yeah for me there isn't a lack of chris's performance in this because chris's performance is right there like That's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, really hard it's in the words. I can't, yeah, I can't yeah. separate the two. Um, and he is insufferable, and he is a git, and he is very, well, he he comes across as being very pleased with himself. But literally everything he does has this ultimate end goal of aggrandizing someone else, mm. or you know, helping the greater good, or helping a particular person to you know to do this or do that. So you can't argue with his his intentions. You, you you can argue that he's a bit annoying, but like <laughs> you can have these selfless individuals. It's like, but you need to look after your fucking self, mate. Like you, you're not looking after yourself. You're just caring about everyone else. You're not looking after you. And yeah. it's like that becomes one of those things where you know that can be. And in the same way that Rimmer's sort of constantly punishing himself, it's like that could be how Ace is doing it. Is like yeah. Ace is punishing himself by not looking after himself and just being very very selfless. Yeah. And being all yeah. kind of about everyone else and not about him, as opposed to you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And also, the TV version of, of Ace has Chris's performance as a boon, because it's right there in your face, but also like that character has none of the depth that, that, that this version of Ace has. Mm. Not, not even the attempt at it, because it's not that character's job. He's a foil for our Rimmer and, and kind of nothing else, but... But, but here you, you get a lot of moments of very real vulnerability and there's one particular chapter where you, you know, you're know you directly in his head and you see exactly where his insecurities come from and where they're rooted and I think that's I think that kind of justifies really like you know why he has this face on him and like how he how he channels his energies and you can see how he's the exact same person as our Rimmer basically yeah. My one major quarrel with Ace, specifically related to this chapter, is that he um, mixes his sporting metaphors. <laughs> he talks about uh, this match kicks off at 0600 hours and I'm the centre forward. And then he says everyone dreams of hitting it over the boundary. <laughs> if you did that in football, that wouldn't be a good thing. No, it wouldn't. Kick it over the stunt. <laughs> Sky that's, that's just a goal kick, mate. Also, if, uh, if, if it kicked off at 0600 hours, then it must be the um, South Korea World Cup. <laughs> Rob knew <laughs> six years in advance. I guess that's bit, that's kind of like it's the performative aspect to him, isn't it? He doesn't know fuck all about sport. He's Rimmer. He doesn't care about sport, <laughs> but he's he's got that front to him. You know, he has to have yeah. the jock. It reminds me a bit of Armstrong and Miller's. Oh yeah, they're um, pilots. <laughs> they're, they're pilots, and their vernacular is different, and that's the joke. But it's, that's how I imagine he speaks, or like the uh, big train sketch where they're all. Um, all the men are doomed pilots trying to get in touch with um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Amelia Bullmore's character, which is a parody of a film, but I can't remember what the film is. But it's that sort of World War Two. Hey, oh chaps! It, well, it's Hey Ho, Pip and Dandy is yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I see him. He's a slightly posh, slightly fay Air Force guy yeah. from the past, but in the future. Whereas Lister, or Spanners rather is the most relatable character in this universe by far. The whole next chapter where he's pulling an all-nighter, it's just so familiar. Yeah. <laughs> where he has to work through a problem and it takes him all night and all the stages he goes through of tiredness. I'll, I'll say this, though. When I read this, I forgot that we were still in Ace's dimension talking about right. Lister. Because when I first read that, I thought we were back to Lister our Lister, because he didn't uh, say Spanish, so basically he doesn't Lister. start with Spanish. Yeah. yeah, my brain didn't didn't immediately. So I always thought that we were. And he is so similar as well. Like he even says like how he's he's trying to work to suppress some of his less desirable aspects, but not really succeeding. He's just like, yeah. he's just our Lister that got that got the chance to apply himself and did yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. it. like we always say this about Lister. We've said it several times because it crops up all the time that he. Is not an idiot. Nope. He's extremely smart and adaptable, and has great intuition, and is very aware and very savvy. He just chooses occasionally to make use of it, and that's you know everything from his judgment in the Inquisitor to his assessment of himself in Ticket to Ride about maturity and all that. The whole thing is that Lister can do all this stuff. He's also a complete slob. Yeah, he's a and slacker. that doesn't and that doesn't change. Yeah. Um, like it's, he specifically mentions his natural slobbishness that he's trying to fight against. He spills coffee all over himself and he's got all these stains on his crutch and that's the same across the board. It's just that this version managed yeah. to make something of himself while still retaining all that stuff from Alistair. Yeah. We don't get to know Spanners enough in Dimension Jump to be able to make that kind of judgement about how close they are aligned to each other but it seems that all the alternative listers that we see in tv world are so different from our own 
Like I know we've only just rewatched Skipper, and that's probably why it's fresh in my mind. But like the posh, but it always seems to be well, Craig Charles doing his posh voice. <laughs> is the Different degrees of posh, yeah. Craig Charles voice. Yeah, but yeah, this more than any other version is like this is definitely our Lister, mm-hmm. and it, it's the same person. Everything about him is the same. It's just that the breaks he's had have been different. Yeah, this this version of Spanners wouldn't have grown um, a little moustache like the one in the TV series. No, like the, the Spanners in <laughs> Dimension Jump almost feels like an earlier version of the lister that becomes captain in skipper it's like yeah. you know just like a slightly wankified version of um a wanking spanners if you will <laughs> of, of our lister i should just explain that uh, my dad in a conversation with capsi once referred to hands as wanking spanners <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Captain, get your wanking spanners around this. Yeah. <laughs> and and to, to be very clear, he was talking about a pint of Guinness, I think, not, yeah. <laughs> not anything else. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it, it must be a phrase. It must be, it must be a wanking spanners. I've never heard him say it before or since. <laughs> Just born out of the yes the the sleep deprived bit like this i think if 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 you were to ask a lot of people like what do you what's kind of like a a, a detail you remember from this book it'd be this description just because it's so real <laughs> and such a universal feeling everyone's had yeah. like everyone's had that like everyone went to school so everyone's had this and rob is obviously writing it in such a <laughs> personal way that it is coming <laughs> directly from his soul there is a chance that he might have been just describing himself in real time. Right, yeah. What the right. deadlines are like. <laughs> but it was Rob and Doug pulling off an all nighter that led to all of this. It was um, when they were writing Son of Cliche That's and right, yeah. needed to finish an episode that was due to be recorded the next day. They stayed up all night, completely used up all their ideas, and so they said, Oh, what about that sci fi idea that we'd had kicking around? And then, then they decided to write up Dave Hollins. Yep. And so, yeah, we can thank. Rob Grant knowing about being tired for a lot of things, <laughs> not least this chapter. And yeah. and when you're in the, those kind of hellish situations many years ago, having a um, an all nighter at, at my first job in London, um, in the all nighter in the office, and like all I was thinking about was this fucking passage and the fact <laughs> that this big building, the big Inmarsat building in Old Street. Um, which probably isn't the biggest building in Old Street anymore. Had a, a, a cafe, subsidised cafe, and I would I went down and I bought a giant bacon roll <laughs> and was eating it on the platform of Old Street Tube Station at eight a.m. when everyone else was going to work. And I was like, "This is this," is, you know. I was living this chapter. It was very satisfying. And also, you had an uncontrollable erection at the time. <laughs> yeah, I did, but I didn't notice. <laughs> I got my wanking spanners out and sorted it out. <laughs> and so it is to be assumed then that, that Rob also <laughs> also experiences the uh, the spontaneous tiredness erection in, <laughs> at five o'clock I mean, in the morning. I don't want to be too laddish about this, but it is a thing. <laughs> yeah, of it does happen. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Nick R picks out the line, best of all, yeah, he would feel incredibly horny, as an expert use of foreshadowing for something that will become important in Chapter 6. Chekhov's erection. 
Not now, Chekhov. <laughs> and on the foreshadowing theme, Dave says, I'm not sure if it's intentional, but does Ace's dialogue about Spanners needing shut-eye and 90 winks subliminally influence Lister to notice that the Ace in the video has no black eye? Like that moment in a House episode where an unrelated <laughs> comment makes the penny drop for him and he solves the mystery. The connection jumped out at me here, but it's never explicitly linked in the text. Yeah, it could be. But it is, there's something, because it's as Lister trudges away that he suddenly has the... Ah, but that's because, it. yeah, I, I took that to be like, it. you know when, when, you, when you're really stuck with something. Like I used to, this is why I started smoking many years ago. I was yeah. My final year at university, I was building a web system for it. And I would just get stuck on a problem, stuck on a problem. And I had like a packet of cigarettes from a night out and I just went outside, had a cigarette and had the idea. Came back and did it. And then, you know, it mm. becomes a habit. It's like you remove yourself from the from this self-imposed prison that you're in, basically staring at a screen or trying to figure something out. And it immediately mm-hmm. comes rushing to you. It's like where you get ideas on the bog and stuff like that. Yeah, that was always like, well, back when I worked in an office, <laughs> when people worked <laughs> in offices. Mm-hmm. If I was stuck on something, no matter what it was, um, yeah, walk away, make a cup of tea, go for a piss. And yeah, it's one of the hardest things of to deal with not being in an office now. Like, is 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 forcing yourself away from the screen to 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 get that moment of clarity because it is very mm-hmm. important. That said, Dave's theory would stack up because that was the, it was the last thing that Ace mm. said to Lister um, was ninety winks and shut eye and all that. If it is foreshadowing, I appreciate Rob's restraint um, in not pointing it out <laughs> and just yeah. letting it sit there. Yeah. Well, they never spit because there's three clues. Yeah, this is the big thing that there's three things that are in every frame of the video, but it yeah it never clarifies which one it is that Lister figures out in that moment. No, it could be any yeah, of the three. They it could be, mention it could be the, and... Yeah, it's the time stamp, the Saint Christopher, and the Black Eye are the three clues. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't I, specify which one it was that he came up with first. I always assumed it was the date. When I think I, the date's got to be the first the, thing. Because then... that's the one that he points out to Pete Tranter later on. It's the one that yeah. Lister is the most enthusiastic about. The date is the keystone, right? Because yeah. as soon as you notice the date, then Ace would be like, that proves well, if that's the point, true, have I got like, my St. Christopher? Yes, I do. Do yeah. I have the black eye? No, I don't. Yeah. yeah. It, like, yeah. yeah. It, it, like this one absolutely categorically proves that it can't be the same ship. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are potentially unless time yeah. travel affects a clock um, in yeah. ways in which they don't fully understand. Yeah. I, but I never don't mind. think about how fucking well, could melt the works. clock. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the um, basically we get a, a black box recording in prose form. I do like um, this for part five yeah. and it's just really it's a cool way to experience that yeah. like it's it starts off with like a, a what would be on the screen the, the on-screen printout uh type thing but then just it's normal prose and it's been described in real time as if it's anything else and then it's um it, it becomes clear that we're watching the black box recording it's just a really nice neat way of getting that information across it is yeah it's it's yeah. the kind of thing that when i was reading it i was like oh i wonder if i could i create an audio version of this because it'd be really nice to to have this as like an audio version like if an audio book ever existed i'd love to hear this it's interesting as well because like this is the this is the chapter where you get some of the clues like you get the mention of the saint christopher well yes that's the only clue really oh yeah and the cl- and the time as well the date but it's never relevant information to you is it because you don't know what the date's supposed to be <laughs> i was yeah. gonna ask that because i was like is there something i missed where like the date was obvious like 
and it's actually been shown to us and we didn't spoil it either you know? you'd expect actually that we would have got this chapter like maybe in a different version of this book we would have got this chapter right at the beginning and then they we would be given all the information the characters have uh, okay. as they're working it out and see if we can work it out with them but because some of it is not workable out by like we we're never given the date as you mm. know information to figure that out so we're actually given it after the characters have figured it out as a kind of a yes. catch-up of like what they were looking so everything yeah. else has kind of got context when we go into chapter six but it never, but when, and only when we started to read this back, like today, have I realised that the date was actually mentioned in this bit. Yeah. Because I didn't realise that was only mentioned. I thought it was only mentioned later on. I didn't realise that we were actually given that information. I thought we we were supposed to work that out as well. Thirty first of March, twenty eighty one. I guess twenty one eighty one. Well, Warbodog says that this is taking place around the time of the first novel. Right, so the date isn't mentioned in the first novel, is it? That's interesting. I forgot about that. <laughs> that we know that Lister's date of birth is 21-something in, in the first novel. Well, we know it's 2150... Like, in the TV, in Stasis Lake, it's 2155. Oh, no, it's 21... It's 2077 in Stasis Lake. Yes, sorry. It's 2155 in a rubberous. Yeah, it's okay. 23rd century guy in, um, <laughs> in DNA. Got you. So this crater was built in 2340. This is a, <laughs> this is a mess. <laughs> it is. Yeah, let's not go too too deep. Uh, Kachansky's 23. I can't remember off the top of my head what Lister's date of birth was in Infinity, and I'm hoping Google <clears> will says, help me. Most of the time, actually, I'll put 1st November 2155. Not November. I was about six weeks old then. It was probably sometime in October. How about the 14th of October? Brutal. So the 14th of October, 2155. <laughs> and that is the okay. end of the lesson. <laughs> Note that down in your copybooks now. So, yeah, Lister is 25 here. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, it does. Yeah, it is the same. This is... should have just read the whole of Warbodog's comment. <laughs> Warbodog goes on to say uh, the later reveal that this is post Red Dwarf for Lister should put this a few years later, but maybe that just happened earlier over here. It is mentioned explicitly how, like, so Red Dwarf is orbiting Europa um, yeah. right now, and it's it's done its jaunt that it was doing presumably yeah. when Lister left at Europa yeah, yeah. originally. It, it's it's gone to the end of yeah. uh, the solar system and back. It's um, Peterson got dropped off on Triton. Um, yeah. it's come back Lister must have left it I think basically this is my sort of headcanon it's not explicit in this book but at the point when Lister went on shore leave and bought a cat on Titan is when he probably left Red Dwarf in this universe right, so like, yeah. he split two ways because um, everything had been going well for him um, in this universe that was the point at which he he found himself getting this other job, and and uh, and meeting Ace and everything that happens from there. Ah. Him, and, him and Kachansky get the transfer to the R and D department of the Space Corps. Whereas at that same point in our universe, everything's going shit for Lister, and he concocts this plan to go into stasis to ride it yeah. out. I like that. Yeah, I want that. That's good. Obviously, everything diverged much earlier than that. But it that did, can, but that was the catalyst of where, as, how Lister ended up with Ace. So this yeah, is roughly yeah. a year and a half after the accident was supposed to happen, pretty much. 
because it gets, got, it's gone off to... Yeah, uh, so Rimmer, yeah, yeah. Rimmer wasn't there to fuck up the drive plate. Rimmer wasn't, you know, it was like... And well, was like... yeah, it's a weird one, that. Like, Rimmer wasn't there for whatever reason, because Rimmer and Lister weren't there, there were other technicians there that presumably, for whatever reason, spotted the problem. Well, yeah. in the book universe, it wasn't Rimmer's fuck-up. No, oh, yeah. Oh, good point. It was just going to happen anyway. The answer's staring us in the face. Obviously, Lewis Pemberton found the, the problem <laughs> and fixed it. It was Lewis Pemberton. It was all Lewis Pemberton. All praise. We've not got to Lewis Pemberton yet, so let's just bookmark him. So we have the black box recording, and then we have the meeting that Tranter and Spanners and Ace have about it. I think this is the biggest section of the book, of this part of the book, rather. Yeah. A lot happens in this scene. Pretty meaty, and I'm not just talking about Lister's erection. Rob mentions a 3D magic eye, and I remember magic eyes being a lot later than this book. <laughs> <laughs> I remember magic eyes from the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. I, I would associate them with early nineties. Yeah, although they they were popular throughout until the internet was invented, and everyone's like, "Why the fuck are we staring at magic eyes?" <laughs> we could be downloading low resolution porn. <laughs> but anyway, this is where Lister loses his shit, basically, <laughs> and as a go at Tranter and various consequences to that. But it all it all stems from the fact that. Because Banners spotted the clue that this was from a different dimension, Ace has basically figured out everything. He's got he's done everything to he's do his best with guess. dimension theory, absolutely everything else. He's fixed every single problem. He's come up with this really complicated, convoluted and a hundred percent correct and accurate um <laughs> theory about how the entire universe in fact how the entire multiverse works. And this is that's the only bit where I'm kind of like I don't quite buy it that our Rimmer would be capable of that because the whole thing is that Ace has more dedication and more drive and more ambition. Well not more ambition necessarily but more ability to meet that ambition than Rimmer has but they are still the same person genetically like I don't believe that our Rimmer would ever have that brain power to do that especially on his entirely on his own as Ace does here I wonder if we're dealing with Lister Lister's man crush um kind of tainting his view of what happened here a little bit by saying like oh he Ace was the one that came up with all of this and the the scientists did nothing they were too busy you know getting ready for their Nobel Prizes or whatever when Mm. in reality maybe things were a little bit more balanced than that and it was the collection of all these minds and and Lister was just basically in his days was a bit too in awe of Ace kind of corralling everyone into into figuring this out maybe that's what gave him the erection (laughs) it's very likely (laughs) can't blame him um actually on this topic nick r says in chapter four it's 4 a.m two hours to wildfire launch and um, when spanner realizes the vital difference about the black box recording then in chapter six after they've traveled to tranter's office and having been shown him the recording which is said to be about 15 minutes long it's 5 a.m and that means that Ace has worked out the maths of reality jumping, travelled to the scientists, explained what was wrong with their theory, travelled to Tranton's office, and started to explain things to him all within an hour. <laughs> Good detective work. Yeah. I guess, I mean, it, it's funny because it's an easily solvable thing. They could just say, like, the, the the launch was delayed and this was a conversation they'd had later in the day and Lister still hasn't slept um, or something like that. I don't know. But, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it comes together pretty quickly, right? Still, says chapter six is quite long and suffers from a couple of issues for me. The first is that the descriptions of tachyon densities and super friction equations feel garbled and a little impenetrable. 
And the second is that having such a long conversation between any three characters who are not part of the main crew starts to get a little dull. No. I'm not sure <laughs> if I agree with the super friction thing feeling garbled, because to me that makes a lot more sense. Like if you want to if you want to get through a fence, you have to go through it at a, a perpendicular angle. That makes sense. If you try and glance against the fence, you'll bounce off it. You know, the, the idea, I think that the only weird sort of part is the bit when, you know, he's saying that the bit that later on you find out that Ace knew about the fact that it's to do with your own timeline. Mm. Like, that's a bit strange. Like, why why should strange. that be the case? Yeah. You know, um, but the idea that, you know, if you go too close to a dimension that's too similar to yours, you'll bounce off it and it won't work. You need to have something that's incredibly divergent in order for it to work. That that does make sense to me. I, yeah. I've got no I think with that. I think it's a really neat bit of pseudoscience. To be honest, like yeah. The, yeah the, like you say, yeah, your fence analogy, which of course immediately made me think of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, matter, Danny, you've never taken a shortcut before. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 re- I really like the super fiction stuff because it, it's, it's immediately understandable, and you could imagine if something like this, you know, is actually true, that it would kind of it would hold some muster. You know, if you're parallel to all these different lines, you have to kind of take a, a steep turn and like I don't know. It's like atmosphere. Friction. It's exactly like atmosphere, isn't it? You don't come into an atmosphere on a really shallow angle because you're gonna you bounce gonna, off it. You, yeah, you bounce you off will it. You bounce or, off it, and, and yeah, you, yeah, elongate the amount of time spent in the, in this high friction area, yeah. so you you'd yeah. be more yeah exactly that. And and I, I do like the idea of the. Um, the sort of the more powerful you can get the engines then the more like the further away from your divergent timeline you'll get as well yeah like that actually matters like the reason yeah it's like they will you know change it by yeah. a factor of five you'll end up be like the, the the point at which you diverted will be further away from each other yeah like i said it's a, it's a nice kind of scientific explanation or scientific like explanation that mm-hmm. also makes sure that your story concept does not allow for boring outcomes <laughs> it's you explaining why ace is not going to find you know a universe where he made a different decision about what to have for breakfast wouldn't it be fucking hilarious if they never revisited ace after this bit of the chapter like you never heard from him again like, <laughs> it's, it's... he just disappeared into the ether he doesn't appear in the rest of the book. You expect him to appear oh, well. and he just never happens. <laughs> so not appearing in the rest of the book. So to summarise though, on the science bit, if they attempt to go to a dimension that's too close, uh, super friction goes ballistic, Ace becomes atrocious. Oh my god. <laughs> Good. Ace becomes ashtrocious. <laughs> How long have you been sat on that one? <laughs> <laughs> throughout the whole of this conversation <laughs> um, okay so do, do we agree about the fact that the, the conversation between three characters who are not part of the main crew is dull do we agree? I don't uh, Spanners and Ace are honorary characters of the main crew in my mind I could read a whole book with Spanners and Ace I think and class it as Red Dwarf especially as these versions of Ace and Spanners have all these strong links as Dave yeah. points out that Lister's anti-authority streak is a nice way of connecting him to our Lister and makes it feel more plausible so yeah, the fact that he's in a different situation, like the, Spanners is just our Lister, yeah, gone, yeah. gone good. It's like yeah. they're, they're closer. This version of Spanners and our Lister are much closer than Ace and Arnold are mm. in terms of personality. So Spanners is where our Lister would have ended up if the entire human race didn't um, go extinct without him. Basically, like he, you know, like our Lister is a is a wasn't his life wasn't going great, but he would still have ended up 
pretty much like spanners. I, I'm pretty confident if if he given, had been yeah, the given enough spot, time, yeah. given enough time to grow up and for sure decent influences around him. And if he didn't have that influence with Rimmer, he would have found that influence with somewhat like Lewis Pemberton would have found him eventually. <laughs> You're obsessed with Lewis Pemberton. We've got to wait. <laughs> he casts a long shadow over this whole part, so it's in that only natural that we're talking about him already. Well, speaking of parts casting a large shadow, this is the bit where the most memorable part of this section for me is Lister having a go at Bungo whilst waving his erection around. I'd just like to point out that that was not a prepared set-up and punch That was Ian. I always enjoy Ian's flawless segues. Again, it's like there's. I don't want to talk about Last Human too much. But what was one of the things I feel like that was missing from Last Human is this masterful, like internal monologue stuff, the the, the internal voices, and they just existed in the original books and just they just weren't quite there in Last Human. Are just back with a vengeance here. Tranter's like <laughs> increasing rage and incredulousness about what's happening to him and what's been said to him and the fact that he has Lister's erection in his face and like all it's just. <laughs> So funny, like little asides, like he's you know, he's contemplating whether to take that the heaviest book from his bookshelf and slamming it down to Lister. It's like, and you know, nipping off for a drink and stuff like that is just, yeah, yeah. like whether to blow his head off or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, is it, I mean, because Trant is in the middle of a nervous breakdown, right? He's in the this guy, like, I, I am on the fucking edge right yeah, now. Like, Trant is basically looking, up. like, at this point, he is looking for, like, what is my, I need to do a big thing to completely change this ridiculous situation. And he, yeah. he contemplates killing Lister as one of those things. <laughs> um, like, you know, or he could drink himself to death. And in the end, obviously, he comes up with the perfect solution. But, like, yeah. He's such a great one-shot character. He's taking this stuff in like he's so. Like I, I do love the bit when he says about the. Uh, I bet he wishes that the other Tranter in the other reality would go into the bathroom and take a drink. And Tranter decided that there would be this reality. So that's all. I like the bit where he gets distracted for a minute by like, did he just call me vinegar drawer? <laughs> which is which made me think of Bishop Brennan. <laughs> did he yeah. kick me up the ass? <laughs> he is very Bishop Brennan, isn't he? Don't yeah. call me vinegar drawers, you little prick. <laughs> just to go back to kind of Lister's meltdown a little bit, is that, that that's kind of com- quite uncomfortable for me because I've had, I've definitely had my moments in my working life where I've lost it at a person of authority mm-hmm. um, in a very kind of similar way to this and it just makes my face hot a bit reading, <laughs> reading this. <laughs> um, again, I think Rob, Rob is very good at just really hooking into very real things real emotions yeah. i guess it's partly a class thing as well because this yeah. is a a posh boys club that ace and bongo both belong to that world that flyboy yeah. officer class type thing whereas lister's pulled himself up by his bootstraps and he's just completely lost it with this guy that is in a position of authority over him but he knows doesn't really care doesn't know what he's talking about is only interested in himself and is only interested in what the company are going to think and he's more worried yeah. about money than he is about Ace's life. Yeah. And so it's this righteous rage yeah. of the shit upon. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you are you are you're still on his side no matter how far he goes. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned actually that the Ace is part of the same group as as Bungo because Ace is the one kind of going like, "Oh, come on, Dave, chill out a bit." Yeah. 
<laughs> he's like he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers particularly he's still establishment isn't he um, well yeah like that, that's true of our rimmer as well it's just yeah, that he yeah. fucked up it's kind of the equivalent of um one generation of blackadder accidentally becoming a butler when the previous ones were like lords <laughs> and like literal royalty at one point but yeah rimmer's upbringing is like privately educated military background military father yeah he's proper aristocracy rumor yeah, is, and it's yeah. just that he's, he's wound up in a lowly position on Red Dwarf because because uh, he's shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like really shit but yeah he's, he's not top. he's not from the same background or class as Lister and, and hence yeah. a lot of the humour in this particularly early dwarf arises yeah Anyway, before we rejoin Lister in the brig, we get a kind of payoff to the opening section where Mamie comes and meets up with Ace and they sort of discuss the plan that they had with Billy Joe and all the rest of it. And it's in this section that Ace, for me, starts to resemble a gold prospector from the Old West. <laughs> he says, well, punch me in the hooter if I miss my mark, young lady. <laughs> 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 and this is the only bit where I'm sort of on the cusp of thinking this guy is he is a bit annoying. This guy's real. <laughs> Again, it's just it's so performative though because we've just had at the start of this chapter we're in his head and he's revealing how vulnerable he is, how worried he is about meeting another version of himself as better than him. That has done, and you can see where his insecurities lie, which is that he he's incredibly successful and everything, but he doesn't believe that he's really done anything to further to help people enough and yeah. that's probably why he's helping his friends as much as he can but like he he's you know not some great humanitarian and that's what he expects the, the versions of him to do because he's expecting them to be better than him so he's still yeah. self-loathing <laughs> you know he's got all those recognizable things and then Mamie comes along and he's back to his bravado he's like he's put his mask on but he's accidentally put two masks on <laughs> or something I don't know <laughs> and he's and he's dialed it up a bit too much so now he's gold he's landed in the old west (laughs) Rimmer has these exact hang ups like everything about Rimmer's reaction in Dimension Jump and later on in this novel is about like the horror of not being able to blame all his shortcomings on Mm-hmm. And whatever he wants to blame them on, because there's this other version that's doing really well. And Ace is still worried about that, even though Ace is incredible. Yeah, he still thinks that there's probably, you know, he feels he's got a kind of imposter syndrome, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so. <clears throat> yeah, it's almost like he's had the confidence to strike out and achieve all his selfish goals early on in his life. You know, become this big test pilot and adored by women and and everything like that. And then from that point, he's grown as a human being. Realized, you know, that helping others is or you know, aggrandizing others is is quite a rewarding thing to do and is worthwhile doing it. And now he's got to the point in his life where he's just like, Man, I've lived quite a selfish life. I could have done a whole lot more for, you know, mankind as a whole or a whole lot more to help people. But he's like he's almost stuck in this life that his youngest, more selfish self had kind of set him off towards, which is again, it's quite a you know, quite a common feeling as you get older, it's just like, you know, you start to start to look outwards more. But then it, it's obviously manifesting of him just endlessly trying to help people for no particular reason. So he's clearly trying to compensate for something, mm. some some emotion or some feeling of like guilt or, you know, that he's not doing enough. Well, he talks about, I can't remember whether it's here or a bit later on, he talks about how because he's a test pilot, he'd always avoided relationships that are yeah. too 
deep because he doesn't want to leave anyone behind should anything happen to him. <laughs> yeah. And so he is a bit of a loner, I guess. And so yeah. he clings on to those friendships and to make a difference where he can because he that's all he's got. Yeah. Yeah, he, he can't let him go he can't let himself get too attached to anything, so he kind of keeps everything at arm's length. Yeah, fixes problems and then leaves them. And like he that, sees that's what he can do. That's way. that's what he can do. He can Yeah. yeah. It sounds like an excuse as well, because I bet if you inspect that, really, of just like the reason I don't have any long-term relationships is because I wouldn't want to to break their hearts if I ever died. And if you analyse that fully, you'd probably come out the other end realising that that's an excuse, mm. <laughs> and that you could very uh, lots of people in the world very justifiably build up personal relationships and still have dangerous jobs and they go on just fine and that's just part of it <laughs> you could you could psychoanalyze it all you want to like you could yeah. say oh, it's, it's all like one big distraction like yeah from something else but from you something know. else probably still from parental trauma yeah tell me about your mother this section kind of confirms it but what he does for billy joe here mm. this act of helping him actually is to the detriment of himself because he's completely trashed his reputation because there was a little hint of it earlier on when spanners clocked the black eye and he was like oh so the rumors are true Uh, ace did really get beaten up and it's confirmed it in here when mamie talks about the fact that everyone's talking about him and like everyone knows what he did like we said ace went into that bar and acted like a complete dick he like he manhandled the barmaid and he picked a fight on someone that was smaller than him and, and lower ranked than him and got his ass kicked. So all these people that were in the bar and who are now whispering about it in the mess and, and everything else, they just think Ace is a complete knob because of what he's done. So maybe yeah. that's why he doesn't have <laughs> relationships with people. I'm not sure that that one deed would have undone everything else. Mm. Like, I, over time, I don't think that would have been the overarching thing that people would remember about him. It does show that he has a bit of a cavalier attitude to his own image and, like... Maybe trashing his reputation is is kind of I don't know like it's something that you know maybe Arima wouldn't care about either because like fuck what everyone else thinks it's kind of like the self destructive thing because mm. otherwise like what reason has he got to help this this like he must have some sort of personal connection with Mamie that we're not really aware of to you know to do her this big favor yeah it's a favor for both of them but yeah, yeah Mamie initiates it maybe that one incident doesn't trash his reputation it's kind of like how um leslie grantham was a murderer but he was dirty den and so everything was fine (laughs) very true also in this section ending this section in fact the first what a guy it's surprisingly late good restraint at the end end of part seven yeah so dave says the stuff about ace being destined to arrive somewhere along his counterpart's parallel timeline is a nice way of addressing the ah, but why does he jump three million years into the future nitpick from Dimension Jump, even if it's not much more than a somehow explanation, which is <laughs> is a good point. I Obviously, it's something you can just make up your own rules about, but it's it's always bothered me. It's like, what if there was two people in the in the ship when it jumped? and Which is a very strange, like, limit for, you know, you can never... You can never go anywhere with this thing. You can only go along your... And you might have... Oh, up... Can you end up in a dimension where you have died? Probably, yeah. Just Afterwards? Just, just, yeah, you're where just you would next have to been a grave. Or... <laughs> I wonder how many times he, during his dimension jumps, he jumps next to that planet with the rings of dead Ace Rimmers. <laughs> it's like, oh, this fucking place again? <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to Chapter 8, which is where we rejoin Lister... Uh, in the brig, uh, 
beating Series 8 to the punch once again. <laughs> and who is there alongside him? They're none other than Peterson. Yeah, Peterson man. coming back, riding in on his white stallion to solve a, <laughs> a mystery <laughs> from the age. very start of the dwarf uh, the book club. Yeah. That if we'd the very first remembered the fucking book books ourselves, we wouldn't have even... <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, back in Infinity Part 1 we were speculating about whether Peterson's house on Triton was a real thing or whether it'd been conned and <laughs> it turns out it was a real house and I was right. Yes, I will I will admit it. I mean, this is a parallel universe, but I won't argue that point. Maybe <laughs> in an alternate universe I would have argued that point, but not in this one. Well, Capsi <laughs> decided to make it this universe. <laughs> <laughs> It's really nice to see him again because it's a link that makes this undeniably book three of a trilogy. Yes. Uh, just bringing back those old threads from the very first book, like Peterson, we haven't really thought about since the accident at all yeah. Yeah. in the book universe. And he was such a standout character in the Infinity as well. He was like, yeah. you know, Lister's drinking buddy, but just he was just genuinely funny. Like normally, like you've got prose that's funny because the author's funny. But then they've got characters who are actually funny, funny. like they're, yeah. they're rounded characters who actually have a sense yeah. of humour. You know, you can I think, tell that. <laughs> uh, so much of that as well is because of Mark Williams, <laughs> which is interesting. I would, I would love to see Mark Williams <laughs> perform the performance that is. Yeah, asked of it's him just his performance is so strong. That... Hello, darling. <laughs> I'm not pissed, you know. Whoa, <laughs> you smell nice. What's that? It's alcohol-free gin. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice surprise for him to turn up. I mean, it's it's fan service, but it's just a nice bit, and it you know he doesn't overstay his welcome. No, it's a very good way of explaining the divergence as well. He does have a purpose, uh, like a yeah. narrative purpose, in that he he explains what's going on with Red Dwarf. Like Red Dwarf is around Europa, so they're on Europa as well. We haven't really mentioned that. This yeah. is this is a test base on Europa and not on Titan. Was it on Titan? It was, no, it was Europa in the TV. Are you sure? Yes. Anyway, they're around Europa, and so is Red Dwarf, which is, I think, relevant to. What does it mean? Uh, it was Mimus. It's Mimus. Europa test base. Mimus test base. <laughs> Anyone can say test base after a location. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Mimus on Saturn. It's Mimus test base. You may now make the point that you abandoned. Um, anyway, yeah, so this is around Europa and not Mimus, as it is in the, as everyone knows is in the TV show. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only reason I know that is because someone somewhere made that point in the comments thread. Yeah, anyway, so he's here to basically as a is a symptom of the fact that Red Dwarf is back in town. It's had its it's had its jaunt around uh, Pluto, be mining Pluto, and it's yeah, it was back. like Neptune, and then it was coming, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been to Ganymede, it's been to Titan. Yes, sir, it's been around. Um, but now it's um, it's back. Um, so, yeah, this was the, the the trip that it was on when the accident happened. The accident hasn't happened. And so that's probably the big, big difference between this universe. And the other one yeah. is it's not just the characters, it's the fact that this, this ship did not have its disaster. And presumably, the person we have to thank for that, as we've mentioned, is Lewis Pemberton. Lewis Pemberton. Who <laughs> has become a meme. <laughs> <laughs> He's become a god. But yeah, it's the fact that the accident wasn't Rimmer's fault. 
in the book universe, and yet it still hasn't happened here. Okay, let, let's figure out exactly what happened, or let's speculate let's about most exactly let's what happened. Let's do that. Because it was a result of coffee being spilled on the console <laughs> that caused the guy, whose name we do know, but I can't remember it now, caused the console officer to uh, mistake the warning about the radiation leak uh, for a warning about his coffee being spilled. In this universe, because Lewis Pemberton is in charge of Z-Shift, and he's uh, in charge of the vending machines... The coffee is that much nicer in this universe yes. that the guy had already long finished his coffee before the point where he was destined to knock it over and spill it. And so there was no spilled coffee because the coffee was so tasty thanks to Lewis Pemberton. Not only that, but the guy was much more alert because Lewis Pemberton really he really fought to get this better brand of coffee in for the for the ship. Yeah. He knew that, you know, the people doing the, the big jobs, the important jobs, the big jobs. Big jobs. <laughs> needed needed good quality coffee high quantities of caffeine keep them alert and really you know he saves thousands of lives yeah. because of that one decision god bless lewis pemberton and that's why i drink pemberton <laughs> blend <laughs> that's why you should never drink decaf never drink decaf i mean there's a slight alert like that like to there, there was actually apparently some like this is this may not be anywhere but there was actually an actual true uh, ballistic missile alert that was basically like seen as it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a real one and a guy knew to turn it off because mm. it was a uh, I think Cold it was in War. Hawaii and some guy basically realised that it's not like said it was not a drill and all this kind of stuff like it was basically as if it was a proper full scale missile alert and the guy ignored it and he was right to do so because yeah. it was a false alarm and yeah <laughs> sorry just goes to show it does happen whereas if it had followed protocol and fired off a retaliatory missile then we probably wouldn't be here now exactly yeah that's kind of insane that yeah small things right and that man's name is was lewis, lewis pemberton, pemberton. <laughs> <laughs> i, I, I realised that actually that's the opposite problem so we should like in all seriousness like the the reason lewis pemberton has become a little bit of a meme is that he's a bit of a um i'm not entirely sure what the trope name is for him it's not a mary sue it's not it's it's kind of, but just the trope of this is impossibly in a part with Ace Rimmer, Lewis Pemberton is almost described in a more idealistic and perfect way than Ace is. He's like, yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a relationship counselor. He's a top guy. He's a great friend. Now, I guess that just is to show the contrast between Lewis Pemberton and R. Rimmer, because that's who we've got to compare him to. Yeah. Because that he was Lister's bunkmate, and Lewis Pemberton is in fact just. A kind of a normal, like he's on the nice side of average, yeah, but okay. compared to Rimmer, <laughs> he same. was able to bring out the best in Lister so much more effectively. And like all he did was, like when Lister was sad about Kachansky, he chatted to him about it, like they had a beer and talked it through. And it just so happened that his advice was good. And like the fact that he was able to say, he said to Lister, "Oh no, you should, you should totally do that. You should apply for that thing. You should do yeah, that course. That's just what any coming. normal friend would do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that Rimmer was such a dick to Lister. <laughs> <laughs> and it is that old thing that Rimmer has always said that you know, particularly in the early days, that sharing a bunk with Lister was what dragged him back. Lister pulling him down, dragging him down. Whereas in fact, the exact opposite is true. Yeah. It could, and like we were saying, it could be the case that both is true. But Lister's never complained about it before. No, yeah. But it makes it makes total sense. Well, that, because Lister yeah, takes Lister responsibility. Was, Lister was for his never own gonna. Yeah. Lister was never gonna fulfil his destiny with Rimmer there. Not only not encouraging him, but giving Lister an excuse to dick around and 
And it's like, you know, in work when you have a good boss, mm. it makes you better and it helps you in to progress and yeah. helps you to do better things. Whereas if you're stuck with a bad boss, then you're just going to piss about and and waste time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As well as learning about Lewis Pemberton, we just pause for a, a story about Peterson getting pissed. <laughs> it goes on for like three pages. Oh, I do, I do like the, I do like the slow reveal of this stuff. Yeah, this is, this is good. <laughs> it's the fact that, like, when he says, when the guard asks him, and then Lister knows that this is going to be fun. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's yeah. like I can see this. He's heard he, these like, before. Folds yeah. arm and settle back. This will be fun. International Debris notes stapling my colleague's penis to his groin. Hello, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first (laughs) of many indications of Rob's... I, I, I wouldn't say obsession necessarily, no. but penchant, <laughs> penchant, penchant for, for genital, um, genital-based torture. Yeah. Which... If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna create like something that's gonna make you, you know, genuine, have a genuine reaction, then involving a dick in some way is gonna make it make that happen. Yes. Clem says, uh, "Lovely stuff." Uh, this is on Peterson being in this chapter. Lovely stuff. Well, why does Peterson call Lister his old building and loan drinking buddy? Is that a reference to "It's a Wonderful Life"? I pass you now to our "It's a Wonderful Life" correspondent, Ian Symes. <laughs> old building and loan. Yes, definitely. Um, I don't think, from memory, the phrase "building and loan drinking buddy" is in "It's a Wonderful Life." But George and Uncle Billy call each other "old building and loan pal." And stuff like old right. building alone, buddy, uh, but not drinking, buddy. I don't think, but so yeah, that's I guess and, that's Peter, I that's guess, yeah. paraphrasing, isn't it? I guess in universe, yeah, Lister and Peterson must have watched it together at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like a shared reference. Like, who would do that? Like, just talk to their mates in terms of film and TV references. Those sad, lonely Fucking lives. Those sad, lonely people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because Pete seems to suggest that the actual phrase old building alone drinking pal pops up in it's a wonderful life but it is possible that the drinking part wasn't part of that i guess i don't think it is no, but then no. i only wa- i watch it um exactly once a year on christmas <laughs> eve i'm usually half and you're cheese drunk by with, that point with baileys <laughs> yeah and well it, either way that kind of explains the phrase because without that context it does kind of sound like You've you've just put two things into a blender and just mixed up the words. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds a little bit, little bit weird. Um, yeah, that's one for the fans, but it's for the fans of It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> yeah. as opposed to the fans of Red. Which is better than one for the fans of Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, Pete also says, incidentally, didn't Peterson go teetotal shortly before Lister went into stasis in our dimension? I blame yeah. Pemberton for making him fall off the wagon in Nace's reality. <laughs> this is classic Pete. Classic naysaying contrary Pete. <laughs> Everyone's he praising Lewis me. Pemberton to the skies. Well, maybe it's similar to the coffee. Maybe uh, Pemberton was in charge of lager supplies and he just got some really Great good, lot, yeah. tasty, premium tasty special brew <laughs> and that's why i drink pemberton's pale ale <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did sober himself up on red dwarf but then when he got to triton oh yeah he was left floating around all day on his own with no gravity and no oxygen in his spacesuit and then he wanted a drink and that's what put him off the wagon so yeah. you can't blame pemberton for this no you can't <laughs> pemberton is is blameless he's pure well, chapter nine is very short. It's just basically um, Ace ha- has busted Spanners and, by association, Peterson out of <laughs> the jail, and then they they go on and do their thing, and um, 
and launch the wildfire. And we see it all happen, the launch. We see that happen from uh, Bongo's perspective. Uh, Bongo, rather. Pete Tranter's perspective. In fact, actually, the only thing we've got to say about Chapter 9, the very brief one, is from um, a comment from Pete, who says, The final line of this chapter should be accompanied by every other character in the vicinity saying, Oh, Peterson! And standing around laughing awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> That's the family guy thing with quite That's Olaf! <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we see everything, all the uh, climactic part of this chapter from Tranter's point of view, watching the launch from his office, having just resigned. And it's a bit weird. <laughs> like, I'm not 100% sure what I make of it. Of, <laughs> like, that we're. It's like. Tranter is in his bathroom, bollock naked, and he gets a gun out and fires it off. And we're supposed to think that he's killed himself, but he's not. Yeah. Instead, he's shot a bottle of rum. Yeah, he's shooting the booze. He's gone a little bit mad. He has gone a bit mad because he's bleeding from the ear from how loud the bang was, and he's just giggling to himself. And he's also completely Billy Bollocks. And (laughs) (laughs) his secretary walks in on him. So that's like, surely. In this Me Too era, <laughs> that he was 1996. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she she goes off to find a marshal pretty quickly, so you know does the right thing there. Yeah. <laughs> to her, she he's he's fucking lost his mind, but he he could not be in a better place. Yeah. There's something quite satisfying about this, though, like seeing a sort of a denouement, like a denouement to to Tranter's story. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because it's it's really unusual to stick with it, considering you didn't need to. Like this didn't need, not need to happen. But I don't begrudge its existence. Yeah, it's a nice little story in a story. It's just the the gun bit that I find a bit weird. The stuff later on of Tranter sort of telling us what happens next with Tranter gives him a happy ending. Like he's he gets to retire and he gets to retire on full pay as well. Yeah, due to a weird <laughs> clerical error and that he patches things up with his wife and kind of lives happily ever after and it's it's there to show again the impact that Ace has had where every person that Ace meets eventually <laughs> ends up in a better place as a result Yeah, uh, because yeah like we said before it could be it's, it's it was Spanners that had a go at him and everything kind of made him sort of realise made him do it but yeah, yeah it's it, that's still Ace's influence because you know the whole situation led to um, Tranter making this decision to quit and therefore turning his life around. Spanners is fighting Ace's Ace's court in in the yeah uh, yeah okay yeah I can, I can I can understand that. But it's almost like the the sort of the final straw was uh, you know an engineer having a go at him and it was like that's mm. the... Dave summarizes it as um, showing Ace continuing to leave a trail of positively transformed lives in his wake. It's just that thing of like Ace just breezes through and and every and everyone nearby is hit by the force field of his <laughs> <laughs> his gravitational pull almost it ends with what is a very cheesy but effective cliffhanger <laughs> of like it's one of the oldest tricks in the book of like oh, oh my godfathers it's monty python's flying <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well yeah that was the first thing that came, came to mind but he could have just been saying oh it's uh, Oh, it's a perfectly normal situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you'd think he might he might think it was because he's gonna see Red Dwarf, right? He's seen Red Dwarf. Yeah. But just before then he says he, he mentions that the star chart like he, he says I'm clearly way out into but, deep yeah, space. Billions of light years from home. Yeah. 
So the reason he's surprised is because Red Dwarf is also yeah yeah okay. I think it's the yeah. fact yeah it's a ship something is here like I shouldn't be anywhere near anything right now yeah because here. because there's something here. So right? He notices the ship and then he's like, oh there's a ship here oh my godfathers it's yeah and uh, yeah the fact that it's Red Dwarf which he recognises as being uh, Lister's old ship yeah. that's um, been hanging around Europa. Okay. Yeah, the the cliffhanger from Ace's point of view is what's that ship doing here? And this is from memory as well. It might turn out. I was going to say I was. can't remember what it is that he actually ends up seeing because I'm sure that. Well, yeah. that's what he would see. It 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 it, it, it materialises next to Red Dwarf, and he's shocked that it's Red Dwarf that's out there. Red Dwarf is also having a bit of a bad time at the moment. Spoilers. So well, I it think is. he might be seeing the result of that, or like maybe a few other ships around. It. I can't remember whether that is the case yeah. or not but like it doesn't really matter because we're the the thing that's shocking is only shocking from ace's point of view yeah uh, but it just it works as a good cliffhanger for a, a section of a book because there's oh there's something that we're going to discover later on yeah no that makes sense yeah. there is one more thing i want to mention um that somebody mentions the class m um system which is actually a star trek thing I thought Class M was something that was like universally accepted as like a, a standard, but it's not. It's a. I, I, I did some right. research, and it's just a Star Trek influence. So, on, on so calling a certain, so give, giving anything like star system related like a class is just is pure is a purely fictional thing. Yeah, yeah that okay. class, a class, like like, and and we were having a small conversation before the before the dwarf cast, and uh, Capsi dropped the bombshell to me that S three actually might mean something, and it's not something I'd ever thought about. <laughs> Do you know about this, Ian? Does it mean Earth like planet because it's it's Sol three? Sol three, yeah, yeah and that, right. not yeah. something I'd ever ever thought about. Like that, that's that's just a fan thing though, right? That's not something that's ever been like. Yeah, I don't think. I think it's just. I don't know. Yeah, just you see it as a, you know, an S three. What is S three atmosphere? Is that is that um, backwards? Is it backwards? S three atmosphere. Yeah, it's all sorts. Of, yeah. Like um, several. Yeah, like yeah, it takes the nearest planet with an S three atmosphere. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. But yeah, as well as using that Star Trek system, there is a character earlier in the book called Waddenbury. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Waddenbury. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one of there the is. scientists. Yeah. And he's an engineer as well. And I think Waddenbury wasn't. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, it's too early in the morning. <laughs> So, yeah, still got a few small points and whatnot to discuss, but let's just have a little breather, shall we, and listen to some calming music. So, yes, it's time uh, for us to whap our small points at the table, but Danny, I hear you've got quite a big one. Uh, well, yeah, I've got quite a big one. Apparently, we've been using the word acronym wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks to the one comment made by a user called Dollar Pound. <laughs> it's like someone just walking into a room going, uh, actually, and then just shutting the door again. <laughs> Which was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, we have been using the word acronym wrongly, so I apologise for that. Uh, what we mean is initialisms. <laughs> I d- that did occur to me while we were recording the previous <laughs> segments, but I figured that initialism watch doesn't have as good an acronym yeah. as acronym watch. And as a yeah. result, because acronym watch using... acronyms to all. But then that, that anything we described is not an acronym, so that's not how that works. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, language evolves, and if enough people misuse a phrase, then eventually the meaning changes. So exactly. we're yeah. saying that they're all acronyms now. What you're saying is we should have done that earlier. <laughs> I could care less about it. <laughs> I want to stab both of us. 
But yeah, there is actually one in here, and I can't remember which one it is. Somebody mentioned, but then again, some of these initialisms in this one particularly are actually kind of fitting because they're shorthand for like takeoff procedures and things like that. Yeah, so, it's, it makes they, sense. They're in universe. They they're not sort of they're not. It's jargon that's supposed to be yeah. jargon, yeah, as opposed it's... to as opposed to the way other writers have used initialisms. <laughs> other Manchester-born writers. <laughs> of Red Dwarf have used them uh, in a way that they expect the audience to understand what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> we probably won't have much cause to, to do acronym what anymore anyway, but I'm going to still call them acronyms. <laughs> give fuck, a fuck, the fuck the police. Fuck the echelop. <laughs> Cuff the echelop. Cuff the echelop. <laughs> Cuff them around the ear. I've got one from Nick Ard from chapter ten that we didn't that we didn't touch on, but he lists all of the names for Bungo, which I just thought it was just yeah. yeah. Well, let's just go through all of these. Uh, Bungo, the Admiral himself. Ah, it's yourself. Ah, it's yourself. <laughs> skunk, Skunkfoot, Vinegar Draws, Bun Bun, and Cheese. Partridge. <laughs> find out tonight. I was just like, but it just sounds like a really like a really terrible Trumpton. Yeah. <laughs> was Bungo, Admiral himself, Skunkfoot, Vinegar Draws, Bun Bun, and Cheese. <laughs> But yeah, did he say that he, one of them is different? That he actually change it. In chapter ten, he's Admiral Stinkfoot no more. Yes. Ah. But it was Skunkfoot previously. I wonder whether it's just him misremembering his own nickname. It was just like, a, like he was like, yeah, you don't maybe, call yeah. me clever Jake for nothing, and it's like yeah. he's only just realised that he's called all these things. Yeah. No one likes a smart Alex. <laughs> Shouldn't it be Admiral no more Stinkfoot? Like his foot is still stinky. Well, he's in the bath, isn't he? Yeah, I think, no, that's I think true. it's because it's mentioned that <laughs> both the admiral and the stinky foot. It's not like he's got um, uh, he, has, he hasn't got a where he can't foot. really control that his feet are a bit problematic. Um, yeah. He just, he just <laughs> never, he's never. He's got Washington. problematic feet. <laughs> they keep using racial slurs. <laughs> Lost their blue tick on Twitter. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Another one from Nick R. Actually, uh, which is more of a general point. At the same time as the Alpha Ace Rimmer featured here leaves his reality, shouldn't Spanners and Tranter expect to greet another Ace Rimmer arriving in theirs from a different reality where he used slightly different wildfire settings? If he's right about there being an infinite number of parallel universes, the correct wildfire settings for that to happen must have happened somewhere. Mm, well, that universe would be way too close to theirs in order for him to... He wouldn't be able True. to safely jump there. So because they could only be visited by someone from a vastly different universe then if they were going to be visited by anyone it probably would be someone that wasn't Ace Rimmer anyway it'd be yeah. someone else doing the jump it'd be something vastly different I see what he means like if he jumps a hundred dimensions then shouldn't the person from a hundred dimensions ago jump here but yeah a hundred dimensions ago they didn't invent um, the yeah, dimension exactly. jumping technology in that dimension because it Hasn't has to be different yet. And there's also the possibility that an infinite number of Ace Rimmers arrive in the same place at the same time, because their universes are similar to each other, and so they've jumped to the same place. Actually, you probably would expect that they should be receiving hundreds and hundreds of dead Aces arriving pretty much on a daily basis because of everyone <laughs> yeah. doing their first <laughs> test. And you, you, yeah. you're going to naturally get a few. <laughs> there's another one. Yeah, I'll another one. Par with the others. Every adjacent dimension gets a dead one. Okay, right, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. the multiverse spreads out the resources, and so no one like gets you know all of the uh, all of the ships. <laughs> and um, yeah, because you, you like the theory of the super friction would t say to you that it would be impossible for you to receive an ace dimension jumping 
into your universe if you yourself had an ace that was dimension jumping because that in itself makes the two universes way too similar in order to jump between so you would have to like you would it would have to be someone else entirely from a different point in time doing the dimension jumping into yours and in which case they would align themselves to themselves, to themselves yeah so if it's not ace rimmer yeah that's doing the dimension <laughs> jumping then spanners and <laughs> Uh, Bongo wouldn't necessarily be involved. Bongo's having a crisis. <laughs> I have a headache. I am really struggling with this conversation. There's no crossover. You're sending someone out into a completely different situation, uh, and therefore the only person you're going to receive is someone from an entirely different situation. Entirely different. Yes. Like, everything's different. Yeah. Because all of the other universes like yours that have an ace that's about to dimension jump will all be fucking off into various... In fact, you'd expect that our crew should have received multiple visits from multiple aces, not just two of them. Uh, you know, you'd think mm. you'd, you'd be constantly getting them, but I guess, again, it's probably we're probably getting into the realm of um, of being probably over, best not to think over analyze. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, ba- basically, the, the reason why yeah they're not expecting anyone to arrive is because no one will. Like it, it would be too. If yeah. if someone arrived, he would be a dead ace because. Of the friction. So that answers that. That does answer that. Let's move on to safer ground. Uh, international debris. Why do fictional characters seem to have far more refined palettes when it comes to coffee? <laughs> I'm really into my beer, but if I was a writer, I wouldn't have all my normal characters the same. They'd probably be happy to drink a pint of Carling or a badly kept Marston's Bitter, because millions of people do that every day. Especially as this bit is about Spanners fighting his natural slobbishness. It hammers home that deep down this is our Lister, and he hasn't really got very refined taste. I think you all agree that this point gets to the crux of the main story here, and I hope it is discussed in length on the Dwarfcast. Well, funnily enough, it kind of was when we went on a rant about Lewis Pemberton getting like much nicer coffee yeah. under a red dwarf. Because they always describe coffee as being like either something they really enjoy, in which case they know their shit about coffee, or that it's just like, you know, water. Basically. The only time like... I've ever drunk a coffee and thought, God, this is a really bad coffee, because you, primarily you drink coffee to, to to serve a purpose. You don't really drink it to be pleasant, and if it is pleasant, then it's a bonus. But like the only time I've ever been actively repelled from coffee is a McDonald's coffee, and even yeah. they fixed that now. Like McDonald's coffee seem okay now. They're better than they used to be. Because like bad coffee is is still coffee. It's like bad vodka is still vodka. Like you know. A two-litre bottle of cider from the corner shop is still a, a useful lubricant for early dwarf casts. You know, it's, it still has a purpose. <laughs> Maybe it's a personal thing with Rob and/or Doug yeah. of being into coffee, because there's also in Infinity, and indeed in Asso Spanish Detective, the dig about <laughs> Spanish, um, coffee. Spanish coffee. <laughs> Uh, and just hate in Last Human, isn't there when Lister is in whichever fucking version of Lister it is, is in Cyber Hell and they describe all the horrible things? Isn't coffee one of the like a bad type of coffee is one of them as well? Yeah. So yeah, it must be a shared thing that they're both into their coffee. It must have had a. Co- it must have been coffee wankers because like in the in the early nineties, no one cared about coffee at all in this country. It's. I mean, it would make sense considering how well that is they've been pulling. So it would <laughs> yeah, make sense that they true. would they would like to know about their coffee in order to you know have what's the best one, what's the nicest. If we're gonna have to drink coffee to you know, stay awake, which which would we prefer to be drinking? Yeah. But yeah, it was probably like just a choice between different types of instant coffee in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, because all the I remember, like hit first hearing the concept of a cappuccino in this country, yeah. and that would have been mid nineties. Yeah. 
Uh, so prior to that, then it was just it was yeah, Star- it was Starbucks. Like, is what popular filter it. coffee or instant coffee, and that was about all the choice you had. It was Mellow Birds or Gold Blend. Oh, Mellow Birds was shite. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> where this all comes from. <laughs> but even now, like if you go into just any supermarket and get just find the cheapest like gravy granule coffee. It's still f- perfectly fine. A bit of whole milk. Are you sure you're not accidentally drinking gravy? <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, the sort of coffee that Uncle almost Albert. looks like it's gravy. I don't know. <laughs> Shut up. You too. <laughs> he'll, he'll never sell ice creams going that fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of what I consider classic dwarf dialogue sprinkled mm. into... Um, like appropriate juncture and no magnificence in your soul, like those yeah. little, those little, like that really stand out as kind of like, oh, that that reminds me of an episode. Like immediately, like it evokes classic dwarf, which is always really nice. That is an interesting point because, like, you'd think this w- that this whole part would be right for like cutting bits out of the episode, but he doesn't. Like, it's all like kind of fresh stuff. Just mm-hmm. just the odd little odd little line here and there. Well, hold that thought, because like we said, this is only the first few minutes of Dimension Jump that's been converted yeah, that's here. He's, ah, he's taken it point. and run with it Like later on in the book and later on in the episode when the two rimmers meet. I think from memory there's some similarities. Ah. I have but one further small point, because uh, I spunked all mine during the main discussion, but um, <laughs> it's on the, a similar line of, of classic bits of dwarf dialogue being pasted in there is a Jackson Pollock joke in chapter 6 when Spanners is raving at Bungo Um, he says he he contemplates um, spraying getting out his revolver and spraying the walls with Lister's brains and selling it as a Jackson Pollock so yeah it's a similar joke but not identical because in the episode the last day it's vomit that's uh, mistaken for a Jackson Pollock rather than (laughs) Uh, splattered brains. I wonder what Rob's opinion on Jackson Pollock paintings are. I mean, may- maybe he likes them. <laughs> you never know. Uh. I like the shit bits. <laughs> I've got a small point. So from the the end of the chapter where Ace is talking to um, Mildred or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mildred. <laughs> it uh, there's a quote that says Ace flipped an unofficial salute, and I thought this was an interesting oh. contrast to Arbimer's ridiculous double yeah, rimmer, yeah. triple rimmer, all that crap. Like Ace doesn't have any of that, doesn't need any of that frippery, I guess. That was one of our Rimmer's ways of getting himself noticed. He wanted to mm. be the person that did this so that you know he'd make an impact, whereas Ace doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right then, if our small points are spent, then we might as well <laughs> crack open a small we'll passage down or two. Our small passages. It happens when you're tired. <laughs> um and. We've selected passages all from fairly late on, so I believe, Capsi, yours is first. Oh, shit a brick. So this is the beginning of Chapter 7, with uh, Ace having a bit of an introspective moment before he uh, fucks off to another dimension. It wasn't, strictly speaking, sunlight. This far out in the solar system, the sun wasn't a big player, energy source-wise. What passed for sunlight on the ice world of Europa was the bright orange glow of the planet Jupiter, magnified through the reinforced plexiglass dome that held the Jovian satellite's artificial atmosphere. Still, Ace Rimmer had spent most of his life under the horizons dominated by the majestic disk of the King of Planets, and for him this was the skyline of home, and in all probability he would never see it again. He took a final drag on his cheroot and crunched it out on the rough concrete of the quadrangle. True enough, there was little to keep him here. 
By design, he'd always avoided forming close relationships. As a test pilot, he'd seen too many of his colleagues leave too many loved ones grieving for far too long. Married men who stayed on as jocks risked more than their own lives every time they took to the air, and that wasn't the danger Ace had been prepared to live with. He'd always planned to have a family. Though his first love was the freedom the cockpit of speed gave him, he... <laughs> there he goes! <laughs> there, are, there he is in his cockpit of speed. <laughs> He knew it wouldn't be available to him forever. He had a couple, maybe three years of first-class flying to look forward to, and then he was going to quit the Corps. He couldn't face the deprivation of a desk job or flight training school. He didn't want to wind up like Bungo, turning his career frustrations in on himself in a wicked orgy of self-hate and self-destruction. No, what he planned to do was probably invest in a reconditioned cargo shuttle and an odd job his way around the solar system until he found a place he felt he could put his roots in. That would be a good side project to fall out of Rob Butsky, actually. Ace <laughs> room of the retirement years. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere with challenge and promise, somewhere he could settle down and breed. At least that had been the plan. Now he was facing a one-way trip into the unknown, and he was afraid. He wasn't afraid of the mechanics of the trip. He was fairly certain alterations to the drives would make the jag through the reality barrier safely enough. He was afraid of what he might find. I don't like his use of the word breed. No, I don't. Yeah, breed's a weird word. Yeah, it's a strange... He's not, he would find like, a female if he was and breed. <laughs> yeah. He's selling himself short. My small passage is basically, let's pause and revel in Peterson's drunken <laughs> <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> and, of course, his contrition afterwards, which is also part of the, uh, of the joy. <laughs> Peterson put on his best contrite and humble look and began. I can't quite recall every single episode of my regrettable misadventures with Absolute Precision Officer, but I'm sure I behaved in many beastly ways, for all of which I most deeply and humbly apologise. Rest assured, most respected lawman, my contrition is complete. I intend to forswear the demon alcohol which brought me to this sorry pass, and live forevermore in this blessed state of sobriety. So you don't remember, say racing across the parade ground, singing the theme from Dambusters and bombing the guard post with luminous urine-filled condoms. <laughs> Peterson's eyes flitted up and left. Can't say it strikes a chord, no, but if I did commit such a heinous deed, it would be most out of character, as I am, at all times, a thoroughly wholesome, gentle and amiable chap, much given to poetical musings and charitable acts, as my good friend of many years with extremely high security clearance here will readily attest. <laughs> He nodded encouragingly at Lister. Does your memory stretch to the part where you stole a motorcycle from the compound and scrawled obscenities over the ornamental garden and tyre marks? Did I really do that? Then I must repair forthwith to the nearest <laughs> pharmacistic establishment and have them replace my medication, which, which, despite its salutary effect on my incurable heart condition, quite clearly produces disastrous and unacceptable side effects. <laughs> and I bet you don't recollect staping my colleague's penis to his groin. Peterson licked his lips. I don't suppose you'd consider an extremely <laughs> substantial bribe. I'll end it there, because that's a good out point. <laughs> what, it's what just, is yeah. it that, that I shall speed forthwith? Is that, is that Blackadder that that reminds me of? <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, that's just that, then I shall speed forthwith to my nearest I must repair forthwith. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the final passage comes from... Uh, yeah, my bit is basically when Tranter has resigned and it's his uh, slow recovery from uh, insanity. 
Admiral Stingfoot No More Chanter sighed a contented plume of brown smoke into the steam-filled air and slipped deeper into the bath, so the bubbles formed an Abe Lincoln beard under his chin. He was relaxing. It felt as if he were truly relaxing for the first time in his adult life, but he chose not to dwell on that aspect of the sensation, because it would have disturbed his relaxation. He hooked his big toe, which now resembled a large pink walnut, under the plug chain and tugged. Slowly, the water gurgled away, leaving him swathed in a suit of foam. He climbed out of the tub and padded towards the shower cubicle. He hit the cold tap and thrust himself, cigar and all, into the icy curtain of water, where he stayed until his testicles had retracted almost completely into his body. <laughs> Again, hello, Rob. <laughs> Clad only in goosebumps, he dipped his way out of the bathroom into his oversized office and dragged open the largest drawer in his gargantuan desk. He took out the service revolver, checked it was loaded, clicked off the safety, and headed back into the bathroom. Still chewing on the sodden Havana, he slipped his wet forefinger inside the drinking guard. A part of him felt that what he was about to do was somehow sacrilegious and more than a little crazy. Frankly, he didn't much care anymore. The blast from the gun was massively amplified by the tiled walls of the bathroom. When Melissa, the Admiral's secretary, flung open the outer door, she was convinced the bomb had exploded. She was astounded that the office appeared completely undamaged. She tilted her head and peered into the bathroom. Tranta was standing, bollock naked, with the smoking revolver in his hand and a shocked expression on his face. A thin trickle of blood slowly oozed out of his ear. He caught her movement out of the corner of his eye and turned to face her. His face split into a cheeky schoolboy grin and he said too loudly, Bugger me, that was noisy. <laughs> I'd forgotten that he didn't kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that Brief level of shock in it. Yeah, you kind of in. think that he's going to do it. Even on a reread, you're like you're not sure because it's so set up. And it's it's very similar to the um to the way McIntyre almost uh, kills himself yeah. as well. And it's kind of you're not quite sure what's going to cuz it's cuz again Red Dwarf will go there. Like they've done it. They've already done it before. So it's not, you know, mm. for and yeah. for, for trying to be at the kind of the wit's end and him retiring and just thinking, "Ah, fuck it. You know what? I've got nothing now." then, mm. you know, you could easily have, have, have seen it going that way. But, yeah, I'm kind of glad it doesn't go that way because it's... Well, maybe that's, you know, the key moment in Tranter's life. Like, Aces is... Uh, Rimmers is being held back. Listers is um, either smuggling a cat on board or yeah. going to... Um, doing his engineering course. And Tranter's is he could have killed himself. Yeah, there, does he turn the he... gun towards him or does he turn towards the drink? And it's Instead, like... he gives up the booze and turns his life around. Yeah. Well, good old no, feet chanter. See, it's not all genital mutilation in Rob's books. <laughs> yeah, it's genital <laughs> retraction up into the throat. Yeah, and and then yeah. a happy ending of yeah. sorts. Well, maybe if um, his testicles hadn't have retracted, then he would have shot himself in the bollocks. <laughs> Tim. Well, yeah. And that less bleak than it could have been note, let's end it there and look forward <laughs> to the next book club when we will be reading part three, Back to Back World. I wonder what where, where that's going to be set. <laughs> the mysterious cryptic part names continue. <laughs> <laughs> Back world, you say. Um, plus, we'll also be looking at the midlog, which is called The Difference One. Uh, so make sure you read both of those vital um, and get your comments in uh, on the article for this Dwarfcast over at www.ganymede.tv. But the next podcast will be our last ever episode commentary. Fuck. Ever. Unless they make more episodes. Uh, and that will be The Promised Land, obviously. That's the only one that we haven't done yet. And that will be too long a Dwarfcast to include our customary Waffle Bin segment. But do keep those random Red Dwarf related topics and questions coming in. So we can add them to our towering waffle stockpile. 
Uh, you can leave a comment on GNT or tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. In the meantime, please obey whatever the fuck um, COVID <laughs> conditions are there at the time that you listen to this, because at the time of recording, we've got no idea. Stay safe, stay vaccinated, stay happy. Stainless steel is a group of iron-based alloys that contain a minimum of approximately 11% chromium, a composition that prevents the iron from rusting and also provides heat-resistant properties. And as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. As always, we recommend you re-familiarize the side of the bra. <laughs> As always, <laughs> it mu- it must be a phrase. It must be it must be a wanking spanners. I've never heard him say it before or <laughs> since. <laughs> Just born out. Oh, does that that trumps hand ankles? <laughs> it's certainly in the same league. Oh, definitely. <laughs> someone someone back. described um, uh, steampunk to me as clock goths the other day, and that, that, was, that was something I needed to. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, oh, that was fun. Yeah. I remember a an episode of Big Breakfast. It was Johnny Vaughan era, and it was around the Oscars, and they had a guy stood next to them for the whole of the show while they were doing the links and everything in a gold skin tight lycra thing as an oscar and <laughs> johnny vaughn was sat down right next to him he was at crotch height and he said it was at about 7 a.m he said mate i hope your body clock doesn't normally wake up at 7 a.m <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of when johnny vaughn said something funny <laughs> Later on in the episode, when the two rimmers meet, I think from memory there's some similarities. Ah, I'm going to let this dog out. I'm going to send her downstairs because she's. I think she might need to go out. Come on. God, that dog moves fast when it wants to. Excellent. <laughs>